Hi everyone, welcome back to Strip Down. I have an incredible guest on my podcast today. To say this is an honor is an understatement. I have the amazing Tim Ballard of the founder and CEO of Operation Underground Railroad, a nonprofit that fights against child sex slavery. He is also the CEO of the Nazarene Fund, which seeks to save oppressed religious and ethnic minorities in the Middle East. Ballard began his career with the CIA and then spent over a decade working as a special agent for the Department of Homeland Security, where he was deployed as an undercover operative. He has worked every type of case imaginable in the fight to dismantle child trafficking rings. He has worked undercover in the United States and in multiple foreign countries to infiltrate child trafficking organizations. In 2013, Ballard and a team of former government operatives left their careers to go about the work of saving children as a private foundation. Ballard has briefed the President of the United States and other cabinet members on issues of child trafficking. He has also has testified before the US House and Senate on several occasions. In 2019, he was appointed by the President to the chair of the White House of Public-Private Partnership Advisory Council to end human trafficking. Ballard has been featured on so many national news outlets to discuss his efforts to combat child trafficking. Some have been the story in ESPN with Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin. He's also appeared on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace, Ingraham Angle, the Glenn Beck Program, and so many other amazing outlets. Ballard is the principal subject of two full-length documentaries, the, Abo the Abolitionist by Academy Award-winning producer Gerald Mullen and Operation Toussaint by Emmy Award-winning director Nick Nanton. His life story is also depicted in the upcoming feature film, The Sound of Freedom, where he is portrayed by actor Jim Cazell. His wife, Catherine, is portrayed by Academy Award winner, Mara Servino. Ballard also is a best-selling author of six books, including Slave Stealers, True Accounts of Slave Rescues, Then and Now. He was named Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernest and Young. And he's also received the Distinguished George Washington Honor of Medal from the Freedens Foundation at Valley Forge. He was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, and he now resides in Utah with his beautiful wife and nine children. Tim, to say this, like I said, is an, an honor, is an understatement. The work you do, everything you and your company, your team, organization, you all do is just amazing. I'm so honored to have you on my show today. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Ali. It's good to be here. Yes. I mean, I, I have to be honest. You know, I, I, I knew that this existed in the world. But when I became a mom and social media, you know, is so out there and in your face and the fact that I am a content creator and someone who kind of lives on social media and in this world, I had no idea how deep and dark and how heavy this all really was. And as I've started to educate myself and truly follow you and your organization and see other organizations doing similar things, it's just been so it's been so heartbreaking and, and, and obviously very upsetting, but at the same time, it's amazing to see all the things that you guys are doing and how much awareness you are bringing to this space. And I couldn't believe also how much of this is actually going on in the United States. And it really boggled my mind truly to wrap my head around that this is such an actual industry of making massive amounts of money and all of that. And when I started reading everything and putting everything together and saw the pieces and, you know, read so many things about you, I was like, I have to figure out how I can help, not just as a mother, but, you know, as a human, as someone who's really been tearing at my soul, I have felt such a calling um, from above to say, like, I need to speak on this, I need to be a part of this, I need to help this, 
not just as a mom of two, but just for all the children. And so thank you for being here and, and you know, being able to share and, and speak on all of this. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm I get so excited to be here. Yeah. So I want to kind of just dive, you know, right in from when you worked for the CIA and then, you know, you chose to leave your career and chose to leave everything you were doing with Homeland Security to go into this. Can you kind of take us back to how that started and what made you make that choice? Sure. Yeah. I, I started working in the child crimes unit for Homeland Security back in the early 2000s when we were first just creating a strategy uh, and nobody even at that time knew what what this was exactly. I mean, if you Googled child trafficking back in 2001, literally probably nothing would come up. No one was talking about it. I didn't even know exactly what it was. And so we kind of were the first into it. Um, and we mostly worked getting pedophiles on the US side that were receiving child exploitation material, child rape videos. And um, always wondering, where are the kids? Where are the kids? Since then, uh, the U.S. government, particularly Homeland Security, has created amazing tools to be able to identify um, these kids in the videos. But at the time, we didn't have that. And so it was frustrating for me. You know, where are these kids? How, how do we find them? How do we help them? So that was always, they were the lost children in my mind all around the world. Uh, um, we'd get the bad guys that, again, the kids who were being victimized in the videos. That was, was breaking my heart. And then in 2006, something happened that kind of changed everything. Uh, the United States passed a law called the uh, Adam Walsh Child Protect Act. And what that did was it allowed for the first time American agents to go overseas to seek out American travelers who were sexually abusing children. And from that point on, from 2006 on, we could actually hold them accountable if they raped a child overseas, hold them accountable as if they had committed that crime on U.S. soil. Wow. Um, so it was like it opened up our world big time. And I was sent by the U.S. government overseas to start finding these Americans. And there was an unintended consequence in that action um, because, it's, you know, we don't, there's only so much in a budget. I could only be there for a couple of weeks. And it was difficult to land in that child brothel or in that, you know, that child trafficking organization. Um, I'd, I'd go undercover pretending to be a client myself or a purveyor of child sex, whatever I needed to do. And lining things up so that I caught the American while I was there was very difficult. Um, not that they weren't doing it. It was just the timing and, and, and so forth. But I always found the kids being sold. And that was breaking my heart because I couldn't do anything. I had no authority to do anything. And so I was pulled back. And, and I don't blame the U.S. government. I would have pulled myself back. There's no mandate. There's, and and the, the host government where we're working, they're like, don't leave you know, you made yourself the bait. Like you, we got these kids, you know, and, and there's frustrations with that. And finally in 2013, 2013, 12, 13, I was working two different cases um, where I was, I went, I was in Colombia really consulting on an investigation. Um, and I kind of just was so inspired to go in deeper and go beyond what really my mandate was. And I got myself in a situation where we, we, we could rescue 100 kids or over 100 kids, but yeah. there was no nexus back to the U.S. government. And so I had to make a choice. Either I go home and don't finish the case or quit my job to finish the case. And that was happening simultaneously in the country of Haiti. Um, we learned of a little boy who was born in the United States, uh, but at three years old, his, his family was living in Haiti. He was of Haitian descent. His, all his family were Haitian. He was the only U.S. citizen in his family. Um, but they were living in Haiti and this little boy was kidnapped from the church where his father was the pastor. 
and traffic. And I learned about that case. And so I, I did the same thing that I had done in Columbia, kind of engaged it further than I was supposed to. And so here I had these two cases and I had to make a choice. You know, if I was to continue working these cases, um, I had to quit. And that was a really hard thing for me. We had six kids at the time. I was a government employee. You know, I, I don't know how I'm going to make money, take care of my children. And it was, it was a stressful time. This was fall, um, fall of, of 2013. And I went to my wife. I said, what do you think we should do? And she's like, what do you mean? You have to think about this? She said, do you think that if you stay, that kids will be rescued? Well, yeah, I, I really do. Well, then what do you, I mean, it was almost like, how dare you even ask me <laughs> wow. what you're going to do? You're going to quit and God will take care of us. After, don't worry about that. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out that later. And so we did. We went in and the, the film, the, the Caviso film called Sound of Freedom is the story of what happened. In, it, it is that whole story I'm just telling you and what happened in Colombia. And we did, in fact, it was a crazy, crazy, crazy case. And we ended up um, rescuing um, over 120 victims, most of them children from about 15 different traffickers in Colombia, um, which then led the way to set up uh, major um, operations with Colombia, where we still work today. And then in, in Haiti, um, similarly, we, we were able to, we, didn't, we never found the little boy. We're still looking for him, but we, have, we ended up rescuing 28 children on that first operation. We found the captors of the little boy, and they, and they were arrested and dismantled other organization dismantled and um and we've since rescued almost 500 over 500 kids um in pursuit of of this little boy wow so that's kind of how it how it started and that's where operation underground railroad started and then after our successes there then we grew and we grew and today we're in 26 countries we've been able to liberate over 4,000 um victims of of trafficking um care for even more survivors than that um, and we have a, a vast aftercare program that's the most important part of what we do. And, and that's kind of how it got started and where we are today. That's, I mean, that's truly incredible, especially to obviously walk away, like you said, from a government job and everything you were doing, but you obviously felt a true calling to go ahead and do that. And I love that your wife was, I mean, I've, I've followed her and seen everything she does and she's amazing, but obviously she so truly supported you in everything that you were going forward to do. She did. No, I wouldn't, this, I wouldn't have done it. I yeah. wouldn't have done it. I would, I, would, I would have been too scared, honestly, to, to try to privatize something that I'd never seen privatized before, the rescue of children, especially with, with little to no money. And, <laughs> and yeah. in our, I was, it was scary and I wouldn't have done it, except that it, at one point, you know, my wife, you know, generally very sweet lady, but at one point I was so scared and lacking the courage that I should have had and she actually got to the point in December of 2013 where she said to me, I was telling her, I can't do this. I can't do this. And she actually said this and it ended the discussion forever. She said, she said, I will not let you jeopardize my salvation by not doing this. I'm like, wow, well done. Like I'm wow. not going to mess with that, yeah. but that's how she yeah. felt. She felt that strongly about it. Yeah. That, I mean, that's quite a, power scene, but obviously, and it was for the reason of you being called to this and obviously being a true part of this. So like you said, when you first were doing this and you were Googling and nothing, you know, if you would Google something, nothing would come up. And now I feel obviously you're finding it more and more because social media exists, you're seeing it more and more. But I find as I'm connecting with others and I'm sharing things from your organization, all these different, you know, resources and articles, people are shocked and are still messaging me and saying, is that really happening? Is that really true? Are you sure? You know, did you get your information from the right place? 
what would you, you know, say to those people? What would you want people to know about this, you know, child trafficking that is obviously very prevalent and is going on and how people can be aware? So, yeah, the stats are daunting and almost inconceivable because decent minds can't comprehend the abuse, the sexual abuse of a child or even of an adult. Um, you know, it's just too hard to comprehend. But the stats are in, this is the State Department Trafficking in Persons Report, it's the UN, it's every, every there's a consensus that there's, there's about 30 million people enslaved today. Um, sex slavery, slave labor, organ harvesting, that's more slaves than ever before in the history of the world that have ever existed. Like we're, we, 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 get, we trick ourselves into thinking that we're past that. We've, we've progressed past the days of slavery and it's just easier to turn a blind eye when in fact we are worse than any other uh, generation in terms of a, a, a world populace that is abusing people and putting them in slavery. About 10 million roughly of those are children oh and particularly in the sex trade, they estimated about 2 million children in their commercial sex trade. So these numbers are incomprehensible they're, they're, And so I get it. People are like, I don't believe it. How's it. And so how we combat that, because we need people to wake up. It's not going to go away. You know, it's not going to go away until people wake up because people move the governments. Pe when people get loud, there's a, there's a response. And, uh, and so what we try to do is we film as much as we can, as much as our partners, our law enforcement partners will let us. And there's a reason for that. Because people want to, they won't, if they don't see it, they won't believe it. And so we actually have quite a few, we have, we have the document, we have um, th three documentaries, two are out already. You mentioned some of them. Um, we have feature films. We have, we, we have a lot of content. So I encourage people to go to our, our website, OURrescue.org and, and see the video, see the content and um, see that it's real, you know, and, and there's real stories and there's other organizations who are telling these stories and law enforcement telling these stories. So that's, that's the key. And I, and I go back to, I love history. We try to learn from history. And you ask, how did we as a nation allow for the legalized form of slavery to exist for hundreds of years? And second question, how did we finally get rid of it? Um, those are applicable questions today. You know, how are we letting this happen? And again, I think mostly it's people just turn a blind eye. It's too hard, especially parents who have children or grandparents or, or teachers or, you know, friends of children. It's too hard because when you hear these stories, you automatically superimpose your child's face onto that child's face, a victim's face. It's too much. So I get that. We've got to overcome it. It's hard, but we have to engage. And the second answer question, how do we, how do we get rid of it? It wasn't, and I love Abraham Lincoln. I think he was an exceptional president, but he didn't raise his hand one day and say, I'm going to end this after 350 years of this horrible thing. He said what he did. What happened was, and the history is clear, the abolitionists, the, 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 those who fought slavery got loud. Uh, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote, wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. Those were the influencers of their day. They didn't have the tools we have. They had books. And they had tracks and they had speaking and that's all they had. But they got so loud that even Abraham Lincoln admitted when he met Harry Beecher Stowe for the first time in the White House, called the Executive Mansion at the time, he said to her, so you're the lady that wrote the book that started this war. So even he recognized it's the people getting loud. And that's why we work with influencers like you, Ali, because you, the influencers of today and the TV producers who are working on projects dealing with human trafficking in, in the films, they are the modern day abolitionists. They are the modern day Harriet Tubman's, Harry Beecher Stowe's, 
who are telling the story. The storytellers truly are the heroes. And everyone can be a storyteller. You don't even need to be an influencer to get online and tweet something, send a video out. And, and we're seeing that happen this year in, in, in ways I've never seen in my lifetime. And it's encouraging that people are asking, but we have to make sure they get fed the right information and the right call to action. Yeah, well, and I think that's such a great point because it's true, you have to wake people up. And I, that's, I mean, for me, as soon as I started reading and diving into this and following you, th there was no more of me turning a blind eye. You know, it, not that I was turning a blind eye before, I, I feel like I was just blissfully unaware. You know, I mean, I, I've heard of it. I knew it existed. You know, I even said to my own mom when I saw her a few months ago, like, did you know this is going on? And, you know, when I did my post about it on, um, you know, the uh, July 30th, because she saw my post, you know, on social media. And she said, well, I, I knew it was going on, but I didn't know how bad, you know, it was and the numbers. And I said, I, I can't turn this off now. You know, I've, I've cried over this. I've screamed over this. I, you know, I, I feel like I have to wake everyone up that I speak to and, 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 and have them understand whether they're a parent or not, you know, that these are children and our, you know, our, our future, our everything is children. And, you know, I guess being now a mom of two, obviously being very emotional about it. It's just, I said to my husband, I'm like, people need to wake up and realize that this is happening. This is going on and especially happening here in the United States. And I think that's what truly boggles my mind personally is the fact that of course it's horrible it's happening in other countries but i think i'm just like can't even believe it's happening here yeah it's a scary thing to think of the fact that the united states we're the number one consumers of child exploitation material we're the number one consumers and sometimes the number one producers depending on the year um the the, the state department's trafficking and person report reported this last this this year that the united states is in the top three, number two, for, tra for a destination countries for trafficking victims. In other words, traffickers want their victims in our country, in our black markets, because we are the consumers, which tells you that now, of course, these guys like to go overseas because the law enforcement is, is a less threatening to them in many developing countries. But still, it tells us all in this country that our kids and our families are mixing and mingling with an enormous pedophile population. And that's why we need to wake up to it. And here generally it's online. You know, I, I work in developing countries a lot where we're working undercover and we know what beach to go sit on and the traffic girl offers a 10 year old girl or which street corner to stand on or which, you know, club to go into. You don't see it like that as much in the United States. Most of it is online. These pedophiles are online, they know how to manipulate social media to access children, to find the vulnerable ones, the ones who they think they can take advantage of. And that's, that's where it kind of it starts. And, and that's where our education and our response needs to start is people, parents especially, need to understand where their kids are, what they're doing online. Well, and obviously social media in so many ways has been a blessing to so many, but also I believe a curse, even for me as someone who you know has a job on social media, and what I want to know is obviously as a mom of two is like, how do you, you know, keep social media safe? Because to be honest, when I first started, you know, reading everything, do my research and connecting with you and sort of sharing everything, you know, I almost got off my account that day. You know, I was like, okay, I've been doing this in the public eye for so many years now and my family and my children, my this and my that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I need to sign off. But then the other part of me was like, no, I need to get louder and I need to share and I need to help. And I need to be a part of this, but 
you know, it is scary and, and it is very vulnerable. And what I want to know is like, how do you do things safely on social media and how do you help others be able to navigate social media? So it starts, you know, with, with parents or guardians of, of children. And I've seen so many cases that are heartbreaking where the parents, for example, and it's happening a lot this year, this year we've seen a mass increase in reports because the, the, the corn, the, the shutdowns, of schools put kids in a very vulnerable position where they are stuck home on their social media, on their iPhones, pedophiles the same. And now they're there. It's harvest time. They've even said that we've even caught chatter on the dark net harvest time. We got these kids at home alone. We can access them. And oftentimes we see where parents don't even understand that their, their kids are um, they're, they're playing games online. And see if, if you're my age or older parent, you didn't grow up as a teenager or as a kid with the internet. And so unless you proactively educate yourself, you don't think that your kid is playing some cute little kid game, but possibly playing someone else from three states over or one state over. And th th these, this is where the pedophiles go. We just, the attorney general's office here in Utah just caught a guy a few weeks ago who was a 42 year old pedophile gaming with a, on a little kid's game with two six year old girls who he had met on Facebook and parents had no idea. The parents thought the girls were playing the computer because when I was a kid, we had to play the computer if we're gonna play. No, the kids were playing for months with a 42 year old pedophile who eventually got them to take their clothes off and take naked pictures of themselves and send to him. Luckily there was intervention before there was a any physical contact. But this is the problem is parents are the first line of defense and I, I just think there's this generational educational problem where they are overconfident in their, in their understanding of kid safety. I tell moms all the time, dads, you know, would you ever let your 13-year-old daughter go clubbing on a Friday night in, in your local community? Oh, no way, never. And then I said, would you let your 13-year-old daughter have full access to the internet behind a closed door in your home? Well, yeah, that's every night. Well, I can promise you that the latter is way more dangerous. There are way more predators who can access your kid there than would likely access your kid at a club. And they just can't comprehend it, but we have the stories and the cases to prove it. Wow. So with that being said, like, so you know that, so you're trying to educate parents on that. So when you're in that situation, like, are, what, are you, what are your guys' opinions on what parents should be doing more parental locks, more monitoring, less internet? I mean, I'm sure there's obviously no right answer, but I mean, where do you start? Yeah, there's no right answer on, on that. The parents just need to be aware. For sure, your kids, you, you, you need to know what apps your kids have and what they're using them for. Um, some parents are saying, I'm just going to get rid of my phone, the kid's phone altogether. No iPhones. And that might be the solution. I've found that's not the solution. <laughs> um, I would rather coach and teach my kids how to use social media responsibly. Um, because if I, if I think if I take it away from them when they turn 18, they're going to be like super in danger because they won't understand it and they'll, they'll be victimized. Or, so I'd rather be there, hold their hand, teach them how to use a very vital technology that you have to have, um, you learn to use it safely. Um, and that's, and that's, that's the key. Being, being safe about it and just be, and just being aware. Yeah. Well, and so I know, like you said, there's, there's so many numbers and so many stats, but 
as far as the ages that you guys see, I mean, from what I've read and everything I've seen, it starts, it can be from very young all the way to adults. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the victims are as young as you can imagine. I mean, babies and, wow. and adults are victimized all the time as well. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're, we're working a case right now uh, that they, they were all adults in their 20s. I can't give too many details other than to say they were um, from a country that had a collapsed economy. And these were, some of these women were accountants, advanced degrees, professionals doing wonderful. Their economy collapses, nothing for them. Traffickers come into town. Hey, we got jobs for you. Come with us. Look at the pictures. You can come to this resort town. Da, da. And, and they're, oh, my ship came in. I'm going to be able to feed my children. I'll be back in six months, kid, six months. And off they go and boom, the minute they land, wherever they go, passport stolen, forced into sex slavery. Kids have no idea what happened. Dads don't know. Moms are, you know, grandma and grandpa are confused. And this is happening all the time. Luckily, we got them all out and, and safety, but uh, there's, this is happening. This is where those numbers are coming from. How are there millions and millions of, that's how, that's how it happens. And, you, and so it's, again, and these women who are now, you know, free, they are just chomping at the bit. They want to get on TV. They want to tell everybody, if it could happen to us, it could happen to anyone. So wake up, you know, to, to, to what is happening in the world. Wow. That's, I mean, that's, trying to comprehend that right now, sitting here with you is just like, it's just, like you said, it's like, wake up. Like, this is just happening so much. What, what was the number this year of the children that have gone missing and the total of the of, of overall like adults just to give people an idea? Well, it's hard, it's hard to, to know exactly, but I mean, it's, it's in the, it's, it's in the, just in the United States in the hundreds of thousands. Right. And around the world, it's, it's literally in the millions. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, it is, it's so vast that it's almost, like I said, it's almost incomprehensible. Um, how many pe- how many people go missing and you just it's it's not reported it happens too often it's not fitting anyone's particular agenda right now and so often t- excuse me so it just goes underreported or unreported um, and that's why people are shocked when they see these numbers like how I have not heard of this well th- and that goes to the other idea that the louder we get as a people grassroots getting loud then the mainstream media will respond I, I think the mainstream media is just a mirror of our society. They, they're a business, right? They, and they know people want to be outraged. That's why there's so much sensationalism, even in mainstream media, right? You read the headline and it doesn't even coincide with the text below. It's all click, it's clickbait, it's, it's sensational. But they're just feeding us what we want. We want to be outraged. And so they're giving us reasons to be outraged, even if they're not so great reasons. Well, here's a reason to be outraged. You know, yeah. so if, I, if we can get millions and millions of people to rise up and get outraged, I, our hope is the media will say, hey, that's what they want. Let's feed them what they want. Let's give them the real stories. Let's make it on our front page every day, another story of a child or a woman or a man or whoever, right? A boy who has been kidnapped and trafficked until we end this. That's my ultimate dream. <laughs> and it starts with us. It starts with, with podcasts like this. It starts with what we did on July 30th. Just everybody talking and everybody getting as loud as they can. Well, and going back to July 30th, because I did my social media post, you know, um, because of, you know, the get loud, you know, on social media and get loud in real life. And I had so many friends who attended real protests. I was away with my family, so I wasn't able to, but I participated online as much as possible. And going back to what you're saying with mainstream media, I couldn't believe how many protests weren't covered from the media. I mean, there were so many 
everywhere. I mean, I saw all the clips. I was watching them. I was following some of them live. And I thought to myself, something's going to appear somewhere. And I couldn't believe that there was just nothing. 150 cities, we can believe it. And yes, it's, if you have 150 cities all being organized together to rise up and, 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 and do it and, and demonstrate, you'd think, you'd think it would have been picked up, especially an, an issue that, like this, it's children being kidnapped, trafficked, and raped. Uh, maybe the last thing on the table, uh, on the world table, on the national table, the last thing that everybody, I think, still agrees on. I, I don't think we agree on anything else these days. It's, it's such a difficult and divisive time. But there's one thing I think we all agree on, regardless of party, regardless of creed, re, re, regardless of whatever, children should not be kidnapped, trafficked, and raped. Um, and so, come on, guys, let's, let's get together, right, over this. Let's just drop everything else, and let's solve this one first. And that, that's our hope. And I love that. I think that's such an amazing message because I've been saying the same thing when people message me. I'm like, this is not a political conversation. This is not a party. This is a human issue. And this is something that we have to all come together on and say, this is not okay. We won't stand for it. And we need to get loud. And I, I really, you know, appreciate you saying that for all to hear because obviously not everyone is understanding what is truly going on and how heavy this is. And so that takes me to your amazing film that is coming out that you've been sharing little bits on social media, Sound of Freedom. So you said that is the story of what you were sharing before, right? Of the, of the little boy and everything that was going on in that case? Correct. Well, this, this one actually has to do with what happened in Colombia. Okay. Um, yeah, when the filmmakers came to us, they, I said, well, there were two cases that launched our foundation and they, they chose the Columbia one, um, which, which is that story um, uh, starts with an investigation in the United States that leads us to Columbia and into one of the darkest uh, criminal uh, trafficking organizations in the country and um, hundreds of, you know, over a hundred kids are, are at stake. And, um, and it tells that story of, you know, starting in the government, why we left and then what happened later in Columbia to, to rescue, um, you know, over 120 victims. Amazing. And how do people, that, that's coming out, right? Or are you guys in works or what's it's, happening? It's, it's all done. It's completely locked, film locked, ready to go. Uh, and it, it was supposed to release this summer. Um, it was a, a Fox produced film. It was supposed to produce, but, but, or release, but of course, everything changed with lockdowns and no theaters. So um, it's now being, uh, it'll probably have a, dis a distribution um, that will be on online distribution, probably one of the big um, online streaming networks. I can't mention any names or what's going yeah, on right sure, now, but, sure. but yeah, it's, 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 it could, it could, it could easily come out this year. Okay. Come out, you know, when they make, when they announce it, it could be a month from that. So it could be November, December, maybe early next year, but it is locked film. It is done. And, and these, these, these filmmakers are, are amazing. Eduardo Verastegui, Alejandro Monteverde, they're just amazing filmmakers and they, and they just did an amazing job. That's amazing. So, so when, when it comes out, then we'll be able to support it. Because so I was going to ask, how do you support Sound of Freedom, you know, film coming and everything? But it sounds like it's already locked and loaded. It's going to be coming out. And then right. once and when, out, right. And the minute we know, believe me, we're going to come to all of our influencers, say, let's get the world to, to watch this. Yes. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Well, I know your time is precious. I just would want to know, is there anything else that you would want to say to make people be aware or how we can you know do better as a society what we should maybe look for i mean obviously these questions are just 
endless. I mean, I could keep you here all day. I know you have a very important job, but I just, I really want to make sure I'm on my part, you know, as a mom and as someone who is a part of this movement, doing my job to just get the information out there for people to understand the magnitude of it and to really, like you said, wake up and know that we can do better. And, you know, how can we be more aware? And so just, I would want to share just anything else. Yeah, the, the, what I would want people to know, because I know the struggle to get in this fight. We need everyone in the fight. I, I know what the struggle is. Like I said before, it's, it's looking at something that's so, you, you yourself, have told, you know, just told us how you, you've screamed, you've cried. I've screamed and cried. It hurts. It, it, is, it's, it, it hurts to engage this topic. It's, it's much easier if, you were, if we're just, you know, um, you know in, in kind of blissful ignorance, right? That, that's, it's easier that way. And so I would encourage people first, all those questions of what to do, what to look for, we have all that. Um, at OURrescue.org, it's available. Um, the State Department puts out a lot of information. Um, so, so that's there, but the first hurdle before we get them there is, is getting over that fear of engaging. And a, a, a quick story, when I started working this, I, I, I dealt with the same fears. I remember the very first cases I worked, I'd see these images and videos and I would see my children in the videos, you know, in my mind. And I, there was times I would like get physically ill. I would get in my car and drive and check my kids out from school and take them home and just hug them and cry. Like, because it, it, it hurts. And so I finally mentally, I learned how to deal with it by not allowing my mind to see my children's faces there. So I learned how to do that. And, and that's how I kind of functioned for the, the next decade until there came a time, it was, it was this Haiti operation, in fact, where I was entering undercover again into an organization that was a front, it was an orphanage front, but they were selling children. And there was a couple dozen children in it. And there was too many kids. I'd never seen so many being sold at once in one place. And I started getting my kind of reaction of, I start seeing my kids. And so I start deploying the tools, you know, that I've learned to block it. And something told me, don't do it. Let them be your kids. Take it. T take on that burden. Let them be your kids. And I realized I shouldn't, I took bad advice all those years earlier to block that. Let it happen. And one, once I let it happen, because what wouldn't you do for your own child? Now I'm doing things I never believed I would do. I'm getting more creative. I'm putting more into it. I'm actually becoming more courageous not less. In the end, it's more courageous if you let these kids become your kids. And so we did liberate those 28. And it, the, the, this exercise that I tried worked so well that I actually ended up adopting two of the kids that we rescued. I mean, they literally became my kids. And so I learned the long and hard way that, and we don't all have to go through that lesson. Let me learn it the hard way for everybody. Let it happen. Don't fight it make, let those kids be your kids. Because if they're not your kids, whose kids are they? They're nobody's. The only adults in their life are trying to hurt them in ways that are incomprehensible. I, I can't even tell you because I'd be afraid to even tell you what's happening to these kids. We have to be their parents and sacrifice some of our own innocence in, in doing that. But the last thing I'll say is when you consider, when people consider the word sacrifice, I think oftentimes we misunderstand thinking sacrifice is just losing something. I'm losing my innocence in this case by getting involved with this. Um, but it's not. Sacrifice actually means to give something up for something better. And that's what you're doing. And that something better is participating in liberating a child. 
And for whatever hurt anyone experiences, there's nothing like being part of that. And, and it completely, the light of that completely washes out the darkness of the other. Um, and so it's worth it. And so I would just ask people, don't listen to this and then turn it off and say, I can't do anything. Engage, be brave, cry, scream. That's fine. That's part of fighting this. You're going to cry. You're going to scream. Do it. And then engage. And what that engagement looks like, only you know, you know, every, every person. What's your time? What's your availability? On our, on our website, you can sign up as, as a, a volunteer where we kind of, it's a vetted volunteer where we get your skill sets, your locations, and then we can call on you to do specific things based on what you can offer. And that's what we need people to do is to just engage. When I love what you said about the sharing, because I felt that way, even as an influencer, I was afraid, which I don't even know why, but I was afraid to share about it on my social media. And I was afraid to speak on something where I'm really, you know, I'm pretty light hearted on all of my stuff I share. And I was like, oh gosh, when I share this, what are people going to think? But I had to push past that and say, I don't care. You know, I don't care if I lose some followers. I don't care if some people feel uncomfortable, you know, and I noticed that I, I shook a lot of people, you know, they messaged me, why are you posting this? Now I'm here for your light feed and, you know, for your happiness and this and that. And I said, listen, it will still be mostly that, but I, I have to share and get loud and wake people up to what this is because I'm woken up now and I, I can't turn it off. So I, I have to share. So one thing I want to share is one of our ambassadors is an international recording artist named Lindsay Sterling. She um, has literally millions of followers. She has um, some of her videos have hit over 1 billion uh, views. She, she's, she dances, plays the violin. And she wanted to help us for so long, but she struggled with that as an influencer. My site, my social media, and I'm just repeating what she's already said publicly, but she said, my you know, my social media, my community, it's a place of light. People come in for light. How can I taint it with darkness? Until she had this shift, which I think you have had, Ali, where, and she said, wait a minute. I have a place of light. That's where it starts. Let, let this light be the light that shines in the darkness of trafficking. The light is the great, anti, it's, it's the great disinfectant of, of, of traffickers. They, live, they work in the dark, right? So she's, she, she changed her paradigm and thought, no, it's not about, darkness hitting my light. It's about me taking my light, my community of light into be the light that shines and disinfects this evil that's happening. And once she did that, it just turned on and, and her community got it. And they said, then let's keep doing it. We will help you. We'll be, we'll be part of the light of your platform that kills human slavery. I'm getting chills and I'm crying at the same time because my, my phone case says be the light. <laughs> And I recently, I recently ordered that. I just, I saw it and it caught my eye and I said, I'll change my phone case. And I just got chills because I feel like I just got a message on so much of what you just um, said and, you know, from above and everything. Well, Tim, I can't thank you enough for sharing so much of your heart and all the work you and OR Rescue do. I mean, I can't even imagine, like I said, I've cried over this. I've screamed. I've been so many emotions. I can't even imagine how you do this every single day with a family, with a wife, with everything and press on and continue to do all you do and save and rescue and educate. I mean, it, you're a true hero and so is your organization. And I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, Ali. Thanks for being a, a powerful voice in this space and let's get others to do what you've done and just engage. 
yes, engage and wake up and share and let's get loud. And thank you again, Tim. Just tell us again where they can find you, please, personally, to follow you, your, your organization, everything. And I'll plug everything in um, links for social media. So it's, it's OURrescue.org. That's where you go to find us um, on social media. It's, it's um, OURrescue. And your personal uh, Instagram, are you also shared? Yeah, you can follow me. I, I get more personal about my experiences. At, uh, it's to Tim Ballard, 89. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for everything. And we will continue to fight this fight. Thank you so much, Ellie. Thank you.